Welcome to In the Thick of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast with me, Colin Lambert, Managing Editor of PL. Um, this week's podcast is yet another new location, I guess, for, for this um, broadcast. I'm in hotel quarantine in Sydney, so having finally made it home, or nearly made it home, I sit a tantalizing eight kilometers away from my house, I think. Um, this week, we're going to be a little bit different because we're doing something um, that is a pretty much a, a fairly radical departure for us at PL with our Chicago conference. So we're going to explain what's going on with that a little bit later on. Before we do want to get to the week that was, um, three things really caught my eye this week that um, have grabbed me. The first one is the Greenwich Associates report that um, I kind of looked at it and sort of went, well, haven't we already experienced this? Don't we already know this? Because what it was saying was, you know, <clears throat> they're saying, oh, fears electronic trading will eliminate jobs on the buy side trading desks. Um, have not actually occurred, you know, being, have been realised. Now, I kind of think this is the obvious because, but then what they're looking at is fixed income traders, generally speaking. And it's another reminder that the fixed income market is maybe a little bit behind where we are in FX because I think the experience in FX, as most people can tell you, is yes, some people definitely, um, were disenfranchised and lost their jobs because of the coming of the machines. But I think there were a whole host of other jobs created. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but when's that ever stopped me giving a, you know, saying something for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that more people are employed in FX now than were probably 20 to 25 years ago. Um, and that's with fewer banking institutions, remember, and even a lot of banks that have pulled back. The fact is the tech is an enabler. It's not a contradiction to the human trader. And <clears throat> funny enough, my column last week looking at, um, oh, oh, sorry, my column on Monday, yes, which would be last week as we listen to it. My column last week looked at the, the need for human interaction and human oversight of this process. Um, funny enough, regular listeners will be surprised here. I used an airline experience as, uh, as, as my analogy. Um, because after telling me that um, I was probably going to be delayed for another eight weeks minimum and that my wife was fine home that day, so we'll be separated for at least eight weeks, at least eight weeks and probably two weeks with the um, hotel quarantine um, and that it was going to cost me more money and that my credit card would run out. Um, I was informed by the young lady on the phone to have a nice day. Well, that was really nice of her. Um, Anyway, the Greenwich Report looks at it and says, you know, so it's exactly what happened in FX. You know, it shouldn't be a surprise as such. What I thought was interesting was how um, the report found that, you know, it's less of a headline um, thing, but budgets remain tight on the buy side, which is interesting because I think some sell-side budgets, particularly in the electronic space, have been freed up over the last couple of years. And it seems the buy side is going slightly the other way which, um, if yeah, according to this report. So it's an interesting one because this could create more pressure and more tension between the two because if you look at it, you know, there's going to be more pressure on the service providers to provide a service. But this is in an age where those service providers can better analyze the value of the flow to their business. And so you might find there's a challenge here and a, and a real friction building because – Another part of the Greenwich Report notes that execution quality has become paramount and 
you know, like, you know, I think they use the example of a one basis point improvement in price on $20 billion of investment grade bonds traded each day equates to 4 million in savings. That's a lot of money, you know, just over 1 billion annually as report states. So that's a lot of money, but you've got this situation now. So you've got the buy side could be <clears throat> looking to their service providers and demanding even more services, which will take money and resources to, to fund and to provide. But at the same time, they're trying to squeeze every single pip out of the uh, execution process, which means A, the, you know, the LPs may not get quite the amount of flow they're getting now, and B, um, they could end up in a situation where the only way they actually win the flow is by losing money. And that kind of takes us back to where we were again in FX uh, many years ago when people were just taking hedge fund volume for the sake of it because guess what? They could. And it was all about you, you know, you're being paid on sales credits, on volume, not on profitability. I think we've got away from that. But this report, I looked, looked at this report and thought to myself, this could highlight some real tensions in that field and end up with something that I think we don't want to happen in FX in particular, less so fixed income where they're more experienced. And that is even more risk going to the buy side. Now, associated with that, um, the FIC Market Standards Board issued a paper um, which looked at, um, I guess, like execution of large trades. Now, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, Martin Pluves, the CEO of the, the FMSB, um, actually did flag this paper as it came out. Um, and it looks at the studies, you know, look, the studies, the challenges of execution. The key point to me, and again, this comes back to best execution, was that um, it sort of effectively points out, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it points out that, you know, the price for a small trade is, could be radically different to that of for a large trade. You know, it's obviously market impact, or it's just a spread you're going to have to face. Now, this raises the highlight, you know, the, the, the issue of risk capital and whether risk capital is actually being deployed um, effectively, which in turn leads me to some, a comment that um, a friend of mine sent me uh, at the end of last week. And basically they were saying, you know, there is a real problem in the fact that the risk capital being allocated to market making is not what it was. In fact, I think you know, they use the phrase an absolute fraction of what it was. Now, we should stress um, neither of us are you know, longing for a return to the days of voice traders. We're both fully embedded in the electronic space, if you, if, if you know what I mean. Um, but the problem is there's a, a real problem with the risk capital being allocated, and this will only get worse as we look more and more towards algos for execution. Because obviously all that does is pushes that risk capital. If you're using an algo, you're assuming the risk. So therefore, the risk is pushed back to the buy side. So we've already seen, I think, quite a big risk, uh, risk transfer shift from the you know, sell to buy side. This could exacerbate the thing even more. So it increases the reliance upon, I guess, a smaller number of LPs that are willing to actually put that, allocate that market-making capital to 
the FX or the FX and probably at some stage fixed income business. There's a side issue here as well around the algos, I think, as well, that <clears throat> there's, there are third-party algo providers out there. Um, and they've got some really good products. But the problem is there is this heavy reliance upon LPs. And I don't think it's been recognized because at the moment, a lot of the third-party algos execute to public platforms only. They don't access the internal liquidity pools. So if the risk capital does continue to drift away to the buy side, and if you think about a buy side firm, generally speaking, they're, they're connected to one, maybe two FX platforms. You know, as this risk capital is allocated, has to be allocated on the buy side, it's going to go to fewer platforms. And it has to represent a challenge, particularly for the ECM model, perhaps. Um, and it could see a thinning of ADV in the ECNs, especially. Um, and probably would lead maybe to um, one or two of them disappearing because you do look at it and think to yourself, you know, it's not the preferred model of a lot of people looking for best execution. We seem to be in a market where it's more um, about executing flow hedging. There is a bit more equitization, as I would call it, in FX, um, <clears throat> which means that there's less interest coming into the market. The, 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 the beauty of the FX market was it was a place for so many to express different interests and different views. Uh, in reality, what we've got now is with the, um, well, I guess obliteration nearly of prop desks um, and spot traders allocating prop risk, allocated prop risk in banks. Um, it just doesn't exist. What we do is we hope there's enough you know, liquidity being churned over, a lot of it being recycled, um, that we can actually get the volume done. So something to watch, I think. But I thought, yeah, the paper was interesting. It sort of, it made some, what I think are fairly obvious points, but I think these are points that need to be made because I do think when you look at the issues around execution quality and stuff like that, um, there's a lot of people out there just think it's a tick box exercise. And I think if the markets remain healthy and vibrant, it has to be so much more than that. We have to have proper analysis of execution quality. Otherwise, we are going to end up, I think, with a, with a much worse market. Um, just finally, and very briefly, um, for this section, uh, quite a lot of feedback, and I, I, covered this more in my, I covered this more in my column on Thursday, but quite a lot of feedback about Goldman Sachs launching their FXX GUI, um, which, yes, people, I mean, this has been done before. <clears throat> As I say in, the, in my column, um, I think it was Deutsche did it a few years ago. Um, I think Credit Suisse have also done it. There's been axes in, in options from B of A. So it's not so much a question of it being a brand new thing. But what I thought what I thought I wanted to stress from my column, for those of you who haven't read it, is that what Goldman's is really talking about here is a smarter price. You know, they're, they're actually better analyzing their total risk exposures and their and their, their risk needs and are reflecting that in their price. And that, I think, is, is quite different. Um, Barclays a couple of years ago had an RW risk-weighted assets pricer into their swaps so they could you know, price more accurately to certain um, counterparties. So these initiatives are out there. I sense we're picking up momentum. 
And if we are picking up momentum, then that means the change that a few of us have been expecting to the FX swaps market structure is probably likely to come a bit quicker. Because if we can get smarter pricing, that does, generally speaking, get people with opposite interests closer to mid. And therefore, that does kind of take out one of the key facets of the interleader brokers who are already being squeezed in G10 anyway. Um, but this could probably squeeze them even further. It's an opportunity for platforms, as I discussed in my column. Um, I won't go into it and repeat all my points in there. If you want to look at it, just go to the website um, and click on and another thing. That'll be it for this week. We'll come back after the break with, um, well, an explanation to me, if nobody else, about exactly how profit and loss works. Profit and Loss Forex Network Chicago is going virtual this year. Join us on September 23rd and 24th for quality panel content, product demos, and live chat via our new state-of-the-art event platform. We're putting the network back in Forex Network. Register now at profit-loss-events.com slash Chicago 2020. As, well, as I recall this, and um, there's just under two weeks to go to what is normally one of the uh, big events of our calendar year, Forex Network Chicago. Um, I think we all know this year is a little bit different. And so um, as so many have, and as we have already this year, um, we're, going, we're maintaining the virtual look because I think it's important that people do get together. Um, we've run three virtual conferences so far this year with great attendance and great speakers. Um, but this time we're going to try something a little bit different for Chicago. So I thought it'd be quite good to actually get someone on who knows what they're talking about with this stuff because as any of you that have told, that have spoken to me or asked me a question about how this thing works um, at our conferences know, I know nothing about anything behind the scenes. I literally rock up five minutes before, try and deal with my hangover and ask dumb questions all day. So um, instead of having to ask me the dumb questions, um, I'm going to ask dumb questions of Michelle Hempstead, commercial director of PL. Um, now, Michelle, this is a, a first for you on the podcast. But it is. It feels like the pinnacle of my career. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should hope so too. Um, it's actually not the first time we've appeared um, inverted commas on air, closing inverted commas together. Um, and this will really bemuse any one of our listeners outside of the UK. But we once appeared together on the Danny Baker's um, sausage sandwich game on BBC Radio 5 Live. So we've been on national radio together before. Yeah. Can you remember who won that, Colin? No, you know what? I really can't. No, I do remember getting. I do remember getting a little bit of stick about one of my answers from the presenters for suggesting that um, the subject matter may have had a chap to deal with the tray, the, the cat litter tray. <clears throat> but no, okay, you <laughs> won it, one nil. Yeah, whatever. Mm. And um, I do still have red gum. I do still have red gum on my um, iPod as well. Not that I ever listened to it. Thanks for that one. Anyway, enough of our trivialities, and before we get too juvenile. Um, Let's actually explain, because I mean, if nothing else, Michelle, it'd be helpful for me to understand what's going on. So um, <laughs> how are we doing things a bit different for the Virtual Forex Network Chicago? Yeah, as you mentioned, Colin, we've run three successful um, virtual conferences already, but the networking opportunities with the format we used were pretty limited. And obviously networking is a big part of any P&L event. 
So for this one, we wanted to make it a bit different. So as well as our live conference panels, the event will have a virtual exhibit hall and our sponsors there can do two things. First, they can showcase um, their company brochures, videos, slide presentations and so on, so that anyone who visits their booth can view those. But as well as that, and this is the bit we're excited about, each booth is going to have an individual chat room so that sponsors can give demos or chat to conference attendees privately in breakout rooms. And we're building plenty of time into the programme so that people can visit the exhibit hall and chat to our sponsors and to each other. I'm glad we're building plenty of time in because it's going to be happening, I think, between midnight and 3.30am my time. So whilst everyone's yeah, in, you've got time for some news between panels. I, I think that's probably the way. So basically, so what's going to happen is, so people will go onto the platform we're using, and they can just click to visit the booth. Yeah, um, there will be a tab for the exhibit hall. Yeah. Uh, once they click on that, they'll see all of the sponsors, and they can choose which booths to go into and have a chat. Yeah, so they go into the high level. Let's have a look at what they're showing, but they can also then request a chat do you request a chat or do you just pop yeah, up and go uh, yeah. hello they, it's they, me yeah pretty much <laughs> they can enter the virtual chat room and our sponsors will have reps there waiting to chat to them okay just like visiting a real booth <clears throat> only without the footwork and the giveaways and the giveaways the giveaways are quite important i've I, I don't think i've bought a pen in about 15 years thanks to forex networks mm. sponsors. or a drink oh no i bought a few drinks in the time um, okay, so basically, so this is going to be taking place between the business sessions. We'll, I mean, probably come to those um, later, maybe probably next week's podcast. We might give a little insight into some of those. I mean, at the moment, the, um, <clears throat> the agenda is pretty packed. So we've got um, a fireside chat with Anna Nordstrom from New York Fed. Um, we've got a <clears throat> really good speaker lineup set up for the um, panel on Does the Fix Need Fixing? Regular listeners will know I do have a bit of an issue with the fix, um, but they'll be glad to hear. They haven't got to listen to my thoughts on it. They can actually listen to some experts' thoughts on it, which is always good. Um, and, yeah, I think there's also one of the other hot topics, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, FX swaps is another subject of our panels. So, basically, Michelle, do they just need to – do people just need to go from or stay where they are, you know, on the platform and then just move around as well they would, you know, in and out of a of conference hall? They'll be able to move in and out. There'll be tabs on the screen that they see yeah. and it will all be very self-explanatory. So we have a main hall and we have an exhibition yeah. hall. Yeah, exactly. It, it won't be quite the same as our usual Chicago event. Obviously, we can't pour anybody a virtual drink at the end of the day. No. Um, but we do want to make it the next best thing to a real event for our attendees and sponsors. Obviously, at the beginning of the year, none of us expected to be where we are. Um, we are very grateful to all of the sponsors who, who are supporting the event, especially our annual sponsors who did sign up for something very different at the start of the year, but they've stuck with us and we really appreciate that. <laughs> I think everyone signed up for something different at the start of the year, didn't they? But, well, yeah. this is true. <clears throat> I, I, I would echo that, even though I'm on the editorial side. Um, it is different. And, and I think that's the key to it, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those things is that, you know, it was pondering me as I'm sat here in hotel quarantine for two weeks that you know, we actually don't know when this thing will end. So it could be that we have to maybe try and get used to more virtual events and, you know, it could become more of a norm going forward, you know, the new normal for these things in many ways. So it's, it's good that, um, it's good that you've come up with the, sorry, it's good that I've come up with the idea and you've executed <laughs> it. I think that's how it worked, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it was, Colin. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I mean, obviously, listeners, um, you can get details of this on our website, uh, www.profit-loss.com. Um, still time to sign up. There is. Um, it's free to attend for the buy and sell side. There is a minuscule charge if you're a vendor, but obviously you'll get the best experience if you sponsor it, um, and there's still time to do that. So just drop us an email at info at profit-loss.com and one of us will be in touch. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the fact is, I mean, it doesn't take, I suppose it doesn't take that long to set up a tab, does it? Just a question of getting the stuff into it. So, exactly, yeah. Over okay, the years, well, a lot of people have said to me they wish they could get to our Chicago events, so I just want to say, well, now's your chance. Yes. And you don't even have to leave your desk. Yes. Or deal with a day two hangover. (laughs) Well, at least if you do, it won't be your fault this year, Colin. (laughs) Well, the thing is, I suppose I'll just be dealing with the jet lag. I could could sound like I've got a hangover, but I won't have had a drink. But there you (laughs) go. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's uh, it's something different. And hopefully, you know, people will get behind it and support it. Um, And I do say that with with a vested interest. So, um, yeah. Thanks for letting us know. Thanks for letting me know what it means, Michelle, let alone the listeners. So um, at least now when I'm talking to people, I've got a bit of an idea what's going on. Thank you for having me. Can I come on again? Yeah, we'll think of something else. We'll have another sausage sandwich game sometime. (laughs) Excellent. We'll come up with something. Anyway, so thanks, Michelle, for that. Um, Thanks for listeners. We'll be back with a a regular guest next week. Um, Maybe something related to the program that I I briefly mentioned earlier um, for Forest Network Chicago. So have a very good week and we'll speak to you again next week. Thanks for listening.